Well, hey, everybody. So good to see you. Thank you for being here. If you're a guest, welcome to Northridge Church. If you're at one of our regional campuses, we just absolutely love that you're with us this weekend at Northridge Grosseal, Northridge Brighton. Go Brighton, that's where I'm from, and Northridge Celine. We're just glad to have you all here. And you might be watching somewhere around the world online, and we're glad to have you as well. But we're in the series called Jim, and it's from the personal letter that a guy named James, Jim, wrote to us in the New Testament about what it means to really follow Jesus and the practical realities of that and the impact that it should make in our lives. And it's really making an impact in me, and I trust it's also making a mark in your life as well. We're, we're this weekend in the portion of his letter where Jim speaks on conflict. And there's a quote by Ben Franklin you've probably heard a long time ago where, where he says... In this world, nothing can be said to be certain except death and taxes. So since Ben Franklin said this, we know the world hasn't changed much since he was on this planet. But, but I think he missed one. He missed a third one, and that's conflict. I mean, you can't escape it. It's, it's an absolute certainty in our world. It's unavoidable. And unfortunately, unlike the confident song that was just sung on our platform... We're not titanium. We're not bulletproof. And, and we really can, in the midst of conflict, experience great devastation and great damage. And we can inflict it. This is a big issue. And here's what Jim says as the truth we'll be focusing on this weekend. He, he says that we have a natural bent for conflict. I mean, we as human beings, each and every one of us, yeah, we express it different ways, we have different personalities, but every single one of us has this natural bent or propensity towards conflict. And the way Jim gets us there is by, by just expressing it as a clear expectation. In James chapter 4, verse 1, it's, he says, what causes all the fights and quarrels among us? I mean, yeah, I mean... All of us are having them, and I know there are people who create the image that they are above this, but they're not, right? And what causes the fights and quarrels among us? We have these natural bents and propensities to be involved in conflict. It's a part of life. And if you doubt this, then you've spent no time with children whatsoever, right? Because, I mean, kids, kids don't need to learn conflict. They're, they're birthed with great skill at it. I grew up in a family of four boys, right? And I'm telling you, it was officially declared as a war zone. Uh, it was crazy, and we didn't have to teach it. But, but many of you go, oh, no, our family's docile and respectful and all that. Hey, look, it, it doesn't have to be the clear indication of a war zone to be conflict. I mean, you can experience conflict that's hidden from the surface, but it's really there underground. And I, I'll prove this to you right now by something I think you'll relate to. Have you, have you ever asked your spouse during tense times, what's wrong? And what was their answer? Nothing. Okay, well, here's the thing. The tone tells you, but they're saying there's no war, there's no conflict, they're saying there's no problem, but, but just the very nature in which they say it, you know there is. I mean, we don't believe them, of course, and it's, it's under the surface, it's underneath current, but there's conflict. We have a natural bent for it. 
And, and you need to know, this natural bent for conflict goes in every single direction of our life. It's, it's inescapable. Now, some of us have it stronger in one direction than another, but it's in every direction. And that's what Jim gets to in his letter to us. It, the first thing he says is, we have this natural bent towards conflict, and often it's inward conflict. I mean, it's, it's conflict that we have within. It's turmoil we have within. In fact, look at how Jim says it in, as he continues in verse 1. He says, don't all these struggles and conflicts and wars we fight, don't they come from your desires? And here's the word, that battle within you, inward conflict. And, and this results, you know, inward conflict results when, when what I want and what I feel is at odds with what I know is right. And so, you know, we're always at war with ourselves. Like, I, I, well, I shouldn't say that, but I want to say that. I shouldn't say that, but it feels so good to say that. I'm going to say that. And then we get pounded, you know, that kind of thing. It's like we have this war going on within, and we're about choices we're going to make and things we're going to do. And then when we make these choices, very often we have a war within, don't we, of guilt and shame and regret and why did I say that and why did I do that and, and this is natural all of us have it inward conflict but it goes further than that because the truth is that, that we have a natural bent for, for conflict that rages within but, but it also leaks out we have outward conflict I mean and Jim makes that clear look at how he says that in verse 2 you want something but don't get it and so you react you know you kill and you covet, but you cannot have what you want, and so you quarrel and you fight, and all this outward conflict comes because we're lacking something within and we're trying to get it. You see, outward conflict results when someone else has what I want and I can't get it in a positive way. So then I start fighting for it, and then I start attacking, and, and if I can't get it, then I'm not going to let them enjoy it and we're going to bring them down, and all this outward conflict just boils around us. Outward conflict also happens when, when we don't feel like we've been treated properly. When we've been wronged, then we kind of lash out and we kind of get back. And I have to tell a personal story, and I'll go back a, a ways, but, but this it just illustrates it so well. I, I, I was in college, and this will tell you a lot about me. I, I was in college. I was working a, a second shift job that went late into the night, like about one in the morning, that kind of thing. And, and um, at college, if you know anything about it, I mean, people settle in, you know, before midnight, basically, and all the parking was taken. And so I'd come from work, and I'd have a very difficult time finding parking anywhere near uh, where I lived. And so I finally found a place to park. It was attached to the parking lot by my dorm, but it wasn't marked as a parking space. You know, it didn't have the parking space thing. But it also wasn't marked as a do not park here space. So I just figured, they forgot to paint the lines, right? And, and so I, I parked there. It was my personal space. And it became my, like my personal space for three months. I'd come home one in the morning, boom, I'm right there. I'm right there by my dorm. It was fantastic. It was awesome. And, and so and, and it became my expectation that I could do this. About three months goes by, and I come out one morning, and on my car is a ticket. Yeah, and it's not from, like, the police or anything, you know, the real police. It was from our campus police. You know, the, the Barney Fife troop? You know, that, that group of 
Bozos? Okay, I'm sorry. I, I apologize. I mean, they're human beings. They matter to God. I just despise their guts. At any rate, so um, they gave me this ticket. And I said, no, 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 no. Number one, I've been parking there three months. What were you, sleeping on the job or something? Is that, why did I get away? And, and it doesn't say I can't park there. You can't give me a ticket. You can give me a warning. You can't give me a ticket. And so I, I went to the, the officer who gave me this ticket. And I argued my case. I said, I'm sorry. That, it doesn't say I can't park there. You can't give me a ticket. And see, I, I unfortunately had a little bit of a public... Uh, uh, recognition on the campus. I had been in student government and I had been in debate and, and all that different stuff. And this guy, he went after me. He goes, I know you. You're in government. You're, you're on debate and you're not winning this one, Powell. <laughs> okay. So what would I do? I'd pay the $2.50 ticket? No. <laughs> I went to his superior. And I went and said, you've got a bozo working for you that really wants to, you know, jack up his own personal value by giving me a $2.50 ticket. And I'm going to tell you, I'm not paying it because I've been parking there three months and either he hasn't been doing his job for three months or I can park there and it doesn't say I can't park there. You shouldn't give me this ticket. And he says, I'm sorry, you're going to pay that ticket. And I went, okay. And then I went to the dean of men. <laughs> and I said, look it. These bozos are giving me a ticket, and I went through the whole thing and debated with him, and he goes, uh, you're going to just have to pay that ticket. And I said, okay. And I went to the dean of students. And I said, you've got a joke of a campus going on here, and I'm blah, 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 blah. And, and he said, you're going to have to pay that ticket. And I said, okay. I went to the chancellor of the university. $2.50 ticket, serious business, this is stupid. Right? But I was going to, I'm going to, I'm going to win. And the chancellor of the university took it to the board of the university. And they canceled the ticket. <laughs> yeah. I thought, I thought the same way. Woohoo! Woohoo! I won! I won! Here's the problem. Every single person's head I stepped on was so offended that I became enemy number one on campus. Every cop, every monitor, every, I mean, everyone hated my guts. And so, guess what happened? As a result, they found everything they could against me. They made up stuff about me. I got kicked out. So, they got a big laugh out of this, right? I thought I won. They won. I got kicked out. Except for one thing, six months later, I got back in, and I got the last laugh because I graduated from that punk university, I'm going to tell you right now. <laughs> graduated from that. And I really got the last laugh because I still exist, and that university no longer exists. How about that? I've outlived the college I went to. That's crazy. But the thing is, this was a horrible experience. This was, this was conflict outward that came from within. And outward conflict, as that story illustrates, can be very destructive, very destructive. It can damage every part of our lives. Now, now we don't get involved in conflict to break more things. I didn't fight that ticket so that I would get kicked out of school. I didn't fight that ticket so that I'd have the misery of everyone in the world gunning for me. I didn't do that. I did it because I wanted the relief of having my way. But the problem was it worked in reverse, was destructive. And you need to know outward conflict can 
if we handle it improperly, damage every part of our lives, our marriages, our families, our careers, our relationships, our reputations, our, even nations can be damaged by outward conflict. And it's a bent we have. And it doesn't stop with inward conflict and outward conflict. Jim goes further and he says, oh my. He goes, it all really starts with upward conflict, conflict we have with God. And we have a natural bent for conflict with God. Look at how Jim says it in chapter 4, verse 4. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Now, this doesn't mean we, we, we should hate everybody in the world and all that. It means when, when you decide you're going to embrace the values of the world instead of embracing the values of God, when, when you decide that you're going to follow the the unbelievable falsehoods of a world gone wrong instead of the unbelievable truths of a God who's always right, you're going to experience unbelievable conflict with God. And, and we experience upward conflict when, when what we want goes against what God wants when we put ourselves ahead of him. And, and this is what happens, really. We have a struggle with God because, because we want to control, but... But he's God. And when we're in this place, we have conflict with him. He becomes an adversary instead of an ally. He becomes an enemy. And you know what our tendency is as human beings? We, we really don't mind God being a part of our lives. We really don't mind it. As long as he doesn't mess with our plans. Isn't this true? I'm all good with God. I'm where, you're giving me the jobs I want. You're giving me the goals I want. You're giving me the prosperity I want. You're giving me the relationships I want. You're giving me the life I want. I got out of that ticket. This is so awesome. But then when he messes with our plans, things don't go our way. When he's not giving us everything we're asking for in our prayers, what happens? All of a sudden, we don't like him being a part of our life so much, and it creates conflict, and, and we tend to choose our way instead of his way, and this upward conflict is very destructive. And this is what Jim's writing about, and I know for a fact that you can relate to everything I've talked about. You can relate to inward conflict because it's your bent like it's mine, and you can relate to outward conflict because it's your bent like mine, and you can relate to this upward conflict because it's your bent just like it's mine. And that's when Jim gives us the application. Jim tells us that we, if we're going to experience life as God designed it, if we're going to find what we're looking for, then we have to learn to overcome conflict. We have to learn to overcome it. It's our natural bent. It's where we naturally go, but we have to learn to handle it properly. It's true we can't avoid conflict. It's going to be a part of our lives. We're going to experience it, but it's not true that conflict has to be negative or destructive, and, and this is where Jim takes us. What we have to understand is that absolutely no positive change that has ever occurred in our life has ever happened outside of conflict. Did you know every single positive change that's occurred in my life was preceded and actually motivated by conflict? Conflict's not the problem. It's a normal part of life. The problem stems from handling it improperly. You know when conflict becomes a problem? When you handle it like I did with that dumb ticket thing. I didn't care about any person along the way that I was stepping on the head. I didn't care about any of that. I cared about me being right, me getting what I want, and me winning. That's all I cared about. And as a result, it destroyed everything around me. Well, God teaches us how to handle conflict properly. And the good news of this story is that 
on the back end, I handled it better than I did throughout the process. I'm the one that escalated that thing by my bad behavior, but ultimately, when it got to the boiling point and it was just starting to fall apart, I actually retreated and, and realized, what am I doing? For a $2.50 ticket, I'm destroying everything. It's just ridiculous. And, and God started doing a work in my life about this very thing. And, and so I started backing up. And when I was getting kicked out of the university, honestly, kicked out, for something I didn't do, but I was enemy number one, I responded very different than I did with the traffic ticket. I realized, okay, God, you're in control. I'm not. I'm the one that caused this big problem, and you're the only one that can resolve this thing. And, and I decided that no matter what happens, instead of letting it fire me up more and get me more angry, I was going to, I was going to seek to honor him through this process. And as a result, I was able to get back into the university, and I was able to graduate and learn some things from it. Well, you see, it's all in how we handle the conflict. We have to submit. Whether conflict is positive or negative depends entirely on our response. And, and note this, I've never responded to conflict properly when I was far away from God. But I've always responded properly to conflict when I'm close to God and walking with him. And that's what Jim's revealing here. And I promise you, you've got conflict in your life. It's either inward or outward or upward. I mean, you've got it. And very often, you, like me, because it's your bent, you're responding improperly, and you escalate it, and you hurt it, and you create problems that you didn't need to create. Instead of progressing positively, you're, you're regressing. And, and what we have to do is we have to together learn how to handle conflict. We have to learn how to deal with it properly. And so Jim's very relevant to us this week. If we're going to learn to handle conflict, then the first thing he tells us we have to do is we have to recognize the cause and the cause is pride. Pride. Now, if you don't recognize the cause, you're, you're never going to learn to handle conflict. Uh, you know, for a long time, I always thought the conflict I was experiencing was other people's faults. Have you ever been there? All the churning within, other people are messing with me, God's not coming through for me, and so, uh, you know, and, and the conflict I had with other people, it was like their fault. It was Sally's fault, it was John's fault, it was, you know, Sam's fault, it wasn't my fault, but, but I've realized that though they certainly were partners in the conflict, I was at the center of the problem. What causes conflict is pride. Look at how Jim says it in James 4, verses 1 through 3. Well, what causes the fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? It comes from you. You want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have but you want, what you want. So you, you quarrel and fight. And you don't have because you're not asking God, but even if you do ask God, you don't receive it because you're asking with the wrong motives. Look at this. That you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. Who, who are we living for? Ourselves. Who's at the center? We are. You see, conflict stems from the moment we as human beings decided to replace God in our lives and to take over as God ourselves. I mean, I'm going to follow my will. I'm going to pursue what I want. I'm going to get what I want. I think that if I do it my way, my life will turn out better than if I do it his way. He, he's holding me back, and I can propel myself forward. And, and of course, it doesn't work, but that's what happens. When we replace God in our lives, when we go into conflict with God and wrestle with him, what happens is we lose everything only God can give us in life, fullness and joy and value and meaning and purpose and love, all these things that only he can give us. We lose because we're in conflict with him. 
you've ever been in a relationship, you know you lose all the beauty of it in the midst of conflict. It separates instead of creating intimacy. That's what happens with God. And so what we have to do is we have to put ourselves and our own pursuits at the center because we're desperate to find what we lost when we lost God. We're desperate for joy and for value and for meaning and for purpose and for life. And so this is why we're all so selfish because we're trying to find what only God can give us. And the cause is pride. And here's what happens. I'll, I'll give you some ideas. We, we become consumed with the power we want. Because if we're going to be God, if we're going to you know, get what we want in this world, we need to have power. And so we become consumed with power. We, we become consumed with the possessions we want because we're trying to replace what we lost with God. We're trying to find happiness and, and possessions we think will do it. And one more thing will make us complete. And it doesn't, but this is why we're consumed with it. We're consumed with the positions we want because if I can have the position I want, then, then I can be in control and I can be a somebody and I can, I can feel like I believe I should feel. And it doesn't work, but this is what we do. And then we become consumed with the pleasures we want thinking that, that we'll find fullness finally if we have these pleasures. But when, when we're in this place in our lives, here's what happens. The things that we want become more important than God, and the things we want become more important than others, which is why we have conflict with God and why we have conflict with others and ultimately have conflict within because we're losing everything. It's like me with that dumb ticket. Do you know what God says? He says, you want life to work and proper order? Well, here's the royal law. Love God, love others. But, but because of our pride, we're loving ourselves and we're at war with God and others. Do you see it? This is where conflict comes from and, and it's pride. I, I had to sit back and go, what drove me to want to win? It was destroying me and it's destroying us. And then Jim goes further. He says, if you're going to learn to overcome conflict, not only do you have to understand the cause, it isn't just other people, it's you, it's your pride. You have to realize the consequence. It's emptiness. The ultimate outcome, the ultimate consequence of, of us being in conflict and handling it wrong is, is emptiness. Now, the reason that's important is because that's not why we're pursuing the conflict. I pursued the conflict with that ticket because I was trying to feel in control and right and like, you know, I was more important than that. And, and the truth is, every step along the way, it just left me more and more empty. And then I, you know, got kicked out. When you pursue conflict improperly, the result is going to be the exact opposite of what you're trying to get. Have, have, do you have a relationship with anyone, with me, with my wife? I mean, there are times that I go to war with her, and I'm going to war with her because I'm right. I'm right, and if I win, life will be so good. It has never worked out not once. It, it always results in the opposite. It always does. It's not the right way. And if here's what's happened with me when I when I've realized that that the result of going to war all the time is emptiness, then maybe I should change up my methodology. I should learn to get past conflict or overcome it. Because look at James chapter four. I mean, it's all about the loss. Uh, verses one through three, he says, "You want something." But don't get it. You're left with emptiness. 
you cannot have what you want. You're doing everything you can to get it, but you can't have what you want because you're not the Lord of the universe. You're, you can't be God. You can't be in control. And I said, you do not have, you do not receive. The end result of our conflict is always emptiness. And that goes with what Solomon said in Ecclesiastes, you know. In chapter 2, verse 11, this Solomon guy, he had all the power, he had all the possessions, he had all the position, he all, had all the pleasures that the world offered, and yet look what he says. When I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was still meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. He, he did all this fighting to get everything he wanted, and, and he found out that he had nothing that he wanted. Can you relate to that? I, I mean, I can relate so much to that in every arena of my life. Well, Jim then gives us a solution. If, if you can relate to this and you want to move beyond it, you want to overcome conflict, then once you understand that the cause isn't just other people and God and circumstances, it's your own issues and pride, and once you understand that fighting that way, fighting unfairly won't get you where you want to go, then know this. You have to ultimately receive the cure. And the cure is grace. We have to receive the cure. And the cure is grace. This is something we can't do. Our pride has to be swallowed and our, our fights have to be given up and, and we have to receive grace. Look at, as Jim has laid out all the stuff in verse six, he says then, but he, God, gives us more grace. And I, I love this because this is really a powerful thing he's writing, very personal to me. He says, all the more you're looking for in fighting, God's grace is more. All the suffering you're going through because of the damage of the warfare you've had, God's grace is more. He gives us more grace. It can overcome any failure. It can overcome any difficulty. It can overcome the ravages of any conflict that we've experienced. God gives us more grace, but we have to receive it. So though we have a natural bent for conflict, we don't have to always be at war with ourselves and with others and with God. God's grace can overcome it if we change, like Jim talks about. If we're going to receive the cure, grace, then Jim says you have to humble yourselves before God. We have to humble ourselves before God. In verses 6 and 10, he says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. What we have to do is we have to go back to where we went wrong. We have to, we have to go back to where we replaced God and we took control. And here's what we have to do when we humble ourselves before the Lord. We have to acknowledge he's God and we're not. And in almost every conflict I've ever had with anyone in the world, it started because I believed I knew right, and they didn't. But the truth is, often, you know what I discover? I was wrong. And you know how I handled the wrong when I was wrong? I mean, this huge war, everybody's obliterated around me, and then I go, oops. How stupid is it to create such devastation when you're not even right? We have to acknowledge he's God we're not. And then Jim says, and it, once you humble yourselves before the Lord, then you have to submit yourself to God. We have to submit ourselves to God. James 4, 7. I'm just walking through his letter. He says, submit yourselves then to God. Now, this is interesting. I, I've, I found it easy, basically, to acknowledge that he's God and I'm not. I mean, that's fairly reasonable, right? 
I found the submitting to the Lord a little bit more difficult. In fact, I, I found that in my particular circumstance, that you might relate to it, I have no problem submitting everyone else to the Lord. I have no problem submitting my wife to the Lord. I have no problem submitting my kids to the Lord. I have no problem submitting to you to the Lord. But I have a huge problem submitting myself to the Lord. And do you know why that is, right? Can you relate to that, first of all? Can you relate to that? Do you know why that is, right? I have no problem submitting my wife to the Lord because I know how much she needs them. She's wrong so much. And I, I have no problem submitting my kids to the Lord because pff, it's obvious they need them. Because they're just... I'm not sure they've ever been right. I have no problem submitting you to the Lord. Well, I'll leave that for you to figure out why. You see, it's like, it's because, you know, everyone else is the problem. The reason I have a problem submitting myself to the Lord is because I have this tendency to think that I'm right. But I'm not. He's God, I'm not. And I have to get to the place where I realize that he's the leader and I'm supposed to follow. And when I do that, do you realize how much conflict is resolved? And, and then Jim goes further because we go, okay, I get that. But then he goes, and once you've humbled yourself before the Lord and once you've submitted yourself to God, then you know what you need to do? Then you, you need to, and I know some of you are going to balk, but he says you need to resist the devil. What? Look at James 4, 7. It says that resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Resist the devil. And you go, well, what's that about? Well, listen. Satan is the author of pride. Did you know that? He, 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 he was created as the head angel, let's call him. And he decided it wasn't good enough to be the head angel. He wanted to replace God. And so in pride, he lifted himself up. You can read about it in Isaiah 14. And, and he led this huge revolt where a third of the angels followed him and you know, were thrown out of God's presence. And and it was because of pride. And, and you know what his whole role is now? His whole role is to convince us that we can be our own gods. That we don't need God. And this is the only way he can get us to follow him. And you know how he does it? You know how he convinces us? Are you ready? He lies. You can do it without God. You can find happiness without God. You can find joy without You can kind of find meaning. Come on, in fact, God's the one that's robbing you of all these things. But the problem is it's a lie. And we have to wake up to the lie. We have to, we have to realize that being consumed with ourselves isn't the way to happiness. God's not trying to keep us down. God's trying to lift us up. And so we have to resist Satan because the lie is everywhere. The lie is everywhere. This world is owned by the lie. This culture is owned by the lie. Vote a certain way and all your problems go away. Get a certain level of economic prosperity and all your problems go away. Have a certain kind of relationship, all your problems go away. No, no they don't. It's a lie. I mean, we need God. We have to resist Satan. Stop listening. And then Jim says, and if you're going to ultimately experience the cure grace, then you need to walk with God. Walk with God. You need to live in full awareness of God's presence. When, when you read the creation story and, and you see Adam and Eve in paradise, did you know that conflict didn't exist when they were walking with God? 
didn't exist. They had no inward conflict. They were absolutely innocent. They were naked in the garden. They had absolute innocence. No, no shame, no guilt, no conflict at all. Did you know they had no outward conflict? They had absolute intimacy and unity with one another. And you know why? Because they had absolute intimacy with God. They were walking with God. No conflict. And then Satan came and told the lie. And what did they do? They bought the lie. They replaced God. They tried to be their own gods. And as a result, all the conflict erupted into their lives. They weren't walking with God. Look at how Jim says it in verses 8 through 10 of James 4. Come near to God. You want to experience Life without conflict, you want to experience peace? Come near to God, and he'll come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Now, this is important. A lot of people go, well, why does he want me to grieve and mourn and wail? How come I can't laugh, I have to mourn? How come I can't have joy, I have to have gloom? That's not the case. Did you see how that passage ended? He wants to lift you up. He says, would you stop thinking that you can find a life of joy and a life of meaning and a life of happiness without me? You can't do it. All you're doing is breaking more things and experiencing devastation yourself. You need to walk with me, come near to God. And the only way is to allow for your sins to be forgiven your self-effort to be put aside and humble yourself before the Lord and let him lift you up. You know what the solution to your conflict is and mine? It's to be near to God. This is what Jesus made possible. Do you realize when he was dying on the cross, what was happening is he was, he was taking on himself all the conflict of all of our failures and all of our sin. The wages of our sin is death and devastation and darkness. And it was all put on him on that cross. He took all of the conflict for us, all of hell was laid on him. And then it was put in the tomb and he was raised from the dead. And when he came out of that tomb, it was so that you and I could have clean hearts and clean hands and no longer be wrestling and fighting with the conflict of our guilt and shame, no longer having to try and find what only God can give us from others and no longer fighting with him. We could walk with him. And in walking with him, what would we have? We would have peace. That's why the angels announced it at Jesus' birth. Peace has been born to you. And so... Rather than fighting with God, we can walk with him. We, and when we do walk with him, our conflict melts away and it's replaced with that peace. And that's when we truly start living. So we have this natural bent towards conflict. And we exercise that bent because we think it's going to get us the life that we're looking for, but it gets us exactly the opposite but in Jesus we can have the life that we're looking for in Jesus we can finally say this is truly living but we have to walk with him and so I just want to encourage you that that you know you need to make a choice that you have to recognize well my I mean the world's not fair and other people are messed up but but really my biggest problems come not from the conflict, but from how I handle it. And pride's the issue. It's at the center. It's me. And, and everything I've been struggling for and fighting for and the way I've been going about it, it's been causing me to just lose more and not gain more. And, and that's when you make the choice. I, I want the cure. 
I, I want grace. And so before I give you the last few thoughts that wrap up Jim's writing to us, I, I want to ask you to bow with me in a word of prayer, if you would, just for a moment. For those of you at our regional campuses, if you'd bow with us as well, and those of you uh, online around the world. And I, I just encourage you to recognize yourself in this truth that Jim's given us. And, and if you're ready to take a step into the cure, just take my prayer and make it yours to God, silently to God in your heart. And just say, Jesus, I, man, I know this conflict deal. Wrestling with guilt within, conflict without, conflict with you. And I know it's my own pride, my own sin but I put my trust in your death on the cross for me and I'm asking you to forgive me, cleanse me so that I can walk with you. Help me to live in the power of your new life, the resurrection, and I pray by faith in Jesus' name, amen. And if you just prayed that way with me, I, I wanna encourage you, let us know, would you? I'm not going to park here for a long time, but everybody in our campus settings have been given one of these programs, and on the inside is a connection card. It's just so easy to tear out. Fill it out, and then check off whatever statement is relevant at the bottom for you, and then put it in the boxes as you leave our auditorium, and, and then we'll send you a letter about next steps that you can take in your relationship with God. And for those of you watching online, just hit the what next button. We'll do the same for you. But there's one last step Jim gives us. Yeah, we have to realize the, the cause, and yeah, we have to, to recognize the consequence, and yeah, we have to receive the cure. But, but then, if we really have, then we need to reveal the change. We need to evidence, reveal the change in our life, and the change is peace. In other words, when we've really experienced the cure, we go from naturally expressing conflict to naturally experiencing peace even in the midst of conflict. And look at how the Bible makes it clear what happens in Jesus is that we get upward peace with God. Upward peace with God. Romans 5, 1 and 2. Since we have been justified through faith, since we've really experienced the transforming power of Jesus, we have peace with God. I mean, we're no longer at conflict. We no longer think he's wrong and we're right. We're no longer at war. And then when we truly experience Jesus, we experience outward peace with others. Outward peace with others. Romans 12, 18, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do you, well, why does he say that, as far as it depends on you? Because other people are still going to be motivated by pride. Other people are going to still be pursuing fulfillment in the wrong way. Other people haven't yet received the cure, and so what are they going to do? They're going to create conflict. Conflict is going to be all around us, but what can be our result? When we're no longer struggling to find what we lost, we lost when God left us, since we're experiencing life and life to the full with God, we no longer have to respond to conflict with conflict. We can respond with peace. That's why in James 4, verse 11, Jim says, after he talks about this whole conflict thing, he goes, brothers, don't slander one another. I mean, you should be experiencing peace with God. You should be experiencing peace with each other. And then finally, he says, if we're really going to reveal the change, peace, then 
we need to be showing inward peace with ourselves. And, and this is where it gets really personal. It's easy for us to convince other people that we're not at war with God. I mean, we lift our hands and we sing songs to him and we talk real spiritual language and we come to church, God and I are good. It's easy for us to do that with each other, true or not. It's also easy for us to, to create an image like we're not in conflict with other people. Everything's good, everything's good, and all that different stuff. But where the reality of peace is truly known is inside. And we need to be experiencing peace with ourselves inward. Look at Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. I'm going to ask you to retrace your steps this last week. I won't ask you to go further. It would be too discouraging. Just this last week. What is it that you were filled with? Joy and peace, that's what was going on inside? Or was there just maybe a little bit of conflict? And this is hard for me because peace is not my natural stance in life. I am. It's just, it's not. I can tell a lot about my walk with God by how much peace I'm experiencing within. And so can you. And here's the great news. We'll, we'll never be at peace with others or with ourselves without first being at peace with God but we can be at peace with ourselves and with others by being at peace with God. One of the things we try and do as a church family is support each other in this, this part of our hum, human expression called conflict and in our care ministry, and I really encourage you to check it out. We have, we have anger resolution stuff. We have mentoring for individuals and couples and families that deals with conflict resolution and all kinds of ways that you can step into opportunities to grow, but... But here's what you need to know. When you walk with God, you can start experiencing life as God designed it. You can sing the song that we just experienced together. And you can say, this is living. Because now I'm walking with him. And I pray that will be each of our stories in the upcoming weeks and months. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next time.